This episode of The Incubator is proudly sponsored by Kiesi. There's this interesting paper that came out in The Lancet called Association. We're going to do a, there's going to be a lot of maternal papers this week, but they're big papers, so we have to review them. This one is called Association Between Maternal Hemoglobin Concentration and Maternal and Neonatal Outcomes, the Prospective Observational Multinational Interbio 21st Fetal Study. It's a long title. What a name. I know. But what a good study. How often do we go over to huddle and they're like, this mother has significant anemia. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. You're opening the Pandora's box right there. Hold on. Eric Ohuma is the first author, and it's like a a very international group of, of investigators, so no specific countries. So the background, I think, is very interesting. And I, I, I wrote down a few things from the background. Number one, that anemia in pregnancy due primarily to iron or folate deficiency is associated with an increased risk of both maternal mortality, having a C-section, adverse outcomes, including preterm labor, preterm birth, small for gestational status, and perinatal and neonatal mortality. Now, if you're using a cutoff of 11 grams per deciliter for your hemoglobin, the prevalence of maternal anemia in 2019 was estimated to be about 36% worldwide. And that's huge. How often, like you said, how often do we see anemia when we go to LND? Now, the CDC has developed these cutoffs for the different trimesters. So they're saying that the cutoff for anemia in trimester one is 11, trimester two is 10.5, and it's again 11 in trimester three. But it remains very unclear whether these cutoffs predict any health risk or provide any protection for either the mother or the child. Ooh, that's me. Sorry. Didn't mute my phone this time around. The other thing that's concerning is that these cutoffs are mostly derived from expert technical consultation and not really from prospective studies. Also, these are country-specific studies. The, even the non-prospective studies that these cutoffs are based on, they're mostly conducted in the U.S. and don't really involve the rest of the world. What's happening is that, in truth, both low and high hemoglobin concentration have been associated with increased risk of adverse maternal and neonatal outcome. However, there's little that is known about gestational age-specific hemoglobin, what these thresholds should be in terms of predicting health risk or protection for both mother and their infants. So what these, this, the, this group of authors tried to answer was that, can we create a longitudinal study linking hemoglobin values during pregnancy to longer-term maternal and child outcomes? And so one of the reasons we're reviewing this paper is because the effects on the newborn are quite impressive, and I think people will be interested to hear that. So this is a prospective observational study. It's called the Interbio 21st study. It was conducted between February 2012 and November 2019 in six cities, uh, in Pelotas in Brazil, in Nairobi in Kenya, in Karachi in Pakistan, in Soweto in South Africa, in Mai Sot in Thailand, I think I'm mispronouncing that, and in Oxford in the UK. Now, patients were considered eligible if they sought to initiate antenatal care before 14 weeks of gestation, the gestational age determined by an ultrasound, irrespective of their pregnancy risk profile for adverse maternal or neonatal outcome. They were followed for the duration of their pregnancy at an interval of about five weeks until the time of delivery. Now, the mothers had to be at least 18 years old. They had to have a BMI less than 35. They had to have uh, a natural conception, so no IVF pregnancy, and it had to be a singleton pregnancy. 
Now, the health, growth, and the development of the children were monitored up until two years of age, which is why the recruitment period really ends in 2019. That's because there was a, a significant follow-up. They obviously collected hemoglobin levels from the mother. This was done uh, from a venous sample, and they looked at several outcomes for both mother and baby. So the maternal outcomes consisted of pregnancy-induced hypertension, defined as a blood pressure of 140 over 90, a blood pressure more than 140 over 90, without proteinuria. They looked at gestational diabetes, defined as any degree of glucose intolerance with onset of first recognition during the pregnancy, and they looked at preterm premature rupture membrane. When it, talking about neonates, they looked at preterm birth, they looked at acute respiratory distress syndrome, defined as clinical features with abnormal chest x-ray requiring oxygen at six hours of life, and the continued need of respiratory support and surfactant therapy within the first days of life. They looked at growth status, large for gestational age, and small for gestational age. There's more stuff in the methods, but I, I would like, there's a lot of results for us to go over, so I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to that now. So the analysis was based on 2,069 women who had at least one hemoglobin concentration measured between week 14 to week 40 of gestation. They contributed, these approximately 2,000 women, contributed to 4,600 hemoglobin measures with a median of three hemoglobin measure per woman. The median gestational age at delivery was 39.1 weeks. The median number of hemoglobin measurement, as we said, was three, and the median hemoglobin value was 12 gram per deciliter. I'm going to give you the, the hemoglobin measurement in gram per deciliter. It's in gram per liter, so it's like 120 in the paper, but obviously it's you divide by 10. That I made a clarification for you, Pri. I know that the pharmacist probably uh, cares about the units. Okay, so a very interesting result. The risk of preterm birth and acute respiratory distress syndrome increased by more than 50% for hemoglobin concentrations of 8.5, and the risk was approximately twofold higher for hemoglobin concentrations of 7 for preterm birth when compared to a standard hemoglobin of 11. So very interesting that a low hemoglobin had such a, a dramatic impact on preterm birth and acute respiratory distress syndrome. Now, what was very interesting is that hemoglobin concentration of 14.5, not anemia, but obviously a much higher hemoglobin, for preterm birth and acute respiratory syndrome, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome were also associated with an increased risk, and there was more than a twofold increased risk for hemoglobin concentration of 16.5 for preterm birth and acute respiratory distress syndrome compared to a reference hemoglobin of 11. Now, what was interesting is that then what we find in the graphs, which are quite impressive, is that the risk of preterm birth and acute respiratory distress syndrome follows then like a U-shape curve continuously across gestational ages and higher risks were observed higher or lower than the reference hemoglobin value of 11. So it's not just anemia, but even a higher hemoglobin was found to be a problem. Now, when it came to SGA, they did not find any significant association with hemoglobin concentrations. Now, looking at things by trimester, in the second trimester, compared with the hemoglobin of 11, hemoglobin concentrations of 10.5 were not associated with an increased risk of SGA or acute respiratory distress syndrome. A hemoglobin of less than 9.5 was also not significantly associated with an increased risk of preterm birth. However, 
the risk of preterm birth increased by more than 70% for a hemoglobin concentration of 16.5. So in the second trimester, a higher hemoglobin could be a problem. In the third trimester, the risk of preterm birth and acute respiratory distress syndrome increased by more than 65% for hemoglobin concentrations of 8.5. And there was a more than twofold increase for preterm birth and acute respiratory distress syndrome when the hemoglobin concentrations were 7.5 when compared with the reference hemoglobin of 11. A few maternal outcomes that were interesting, there was a 50% higher risk of pregnancy-induced hypertension for hemoglobin concentrations higher than 16 grams per deciliter, and the risk was more than twofold for a hemoglobin concentration higher than 17. There was a reduced risk of pregnancy-induced hypertension at a hemoglobin concentration of 10.5, and there was an overall reduction of the risk of gestational diabetes at a hemoglobin concentration of 12. And in the third trimester, I'm sorry, 12 in the third trimester and 12.5 in the second trimester. Overall, no statistically significant association for PPROM, but in the second trimester, the risk of PPROM increased by more than twofold with a hemoglobin concentration of 16. And so what began as a paper that really we, I thought, was going to focus on anemia turns out to really cover both ends of the spectrum. The last piece of information that's interesting is that after adjusting for iron supplementation, they didn't find any difference in their results. And so the summary of the study is that in this multinational longitudinal study, they've described an association pattern between maternal hemoglobin concentration in pregnancy and adverse maternal and neonatal health outcomes. Now, the finding of risks relative to hemoglobin concentration suggests that the clinical and the public health benefit might arise from using an optimal range, a little bit like almost like a caffeine, where if you stick within a therapeutic range, you have decreased complication. And that seems to be important throughout the pregnancy as it is associated with lower risk of either maternal and neonatal outcomes. Thoughts? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I was going to clarify. So are there different recommendations then for each trimester or is it always the same range of, I, I miss this, on the hemoglobin? Yeah, so they, they do report the, the data based on the different trimesters. And I think based on the complication that they're looking at different results, where in the second trimester, it really seems that the higher hemoglobin really is an issue, for example, for preterm birth, where they saw like a 70% increase in preterm birth if your hemoglobin concentration was 16.5. They saw less complications if you were considered anemic in the second trimester. And then when you get to the third trimester, it looks like being anemic is really an issue with a twofold increase in the risk of preterm birth and acute respiratory distress when the hemoglobin goes to 7.5. But that's again, when they're looking at it from, that's again, when they're looking at it from the trimester, but even looking at, you could look at it from the entire duration of the pregnancy or by trimester. And I suggest that people look at the different graphs because they have they have a good number of graphs, which is the association between overall hemoglobin concentration in pregnancy and the neonatal outcomes. But if you go to figure three, you actually get the same kind of data in the second and third trimester of pregnancy for, for pregnancy and neonatal outcomes. So you can actually see what the effects are based on the different trimesters. And you said that iron supplementation didn't change the findings. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's the unfortunate. So what do we do about it? That's something that I was wondering. I think from our standpoint, I think it's going to help me when I go do a consult to figure out exactly what kind of risks we're dealing with. What I will be curious about is that I think this really is a paper that is addressed for our OB colleagues. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be curious to see how that 
may change their approach to anemia during pregnancy. And that I don't know. And that I don't know. Again, what kind of iron supplementation we're talking about, whether it is just like you taking mm-hmm. a daily iron supplement versus actually being treated with IV iron, for example, I don't know. But that yeah, would be the next wonder, step. Yeah, I wonder, the end question is then, does preconception supplementation mod- moderate any of that? You're asking me questions I do not I have know. the answer to. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Incubator Podcast. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or the Apple Podcast website. You can find other episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the podcast app of your choice. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to send us questions, comments, or suggestions to our email address, nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Instagram or Twitter at nikupodcast or through our website, at www.the-incubator.org. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care professional. Thank you.